Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle, from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. Uh, as is the case most weeks, uh, it is your host, Matt Collins, and I am back with uh, Brian Joyner. We are back after a little bit of a break. What, what, what was that? That was, uh, that was Dr. Fauci um, yelling at Rand Paul. Uh, I was trying to turn off my phone and accidentally went back into Twitter. <laughs> but that's enough. Anyone wants to go see, you can look it up for themselves. Fauci was mad. <laughs> Okay. 
anyways, yeah, we are uh, back after a one-week break. Uh, we took last week off because, uh, well, frankly, I didn't really want to do it. The draft is just too busy for me, and I didn't feel like doing a podcast on top of it. Um, and I guess we should also mention um, our frenemy, Jake. Uh, if you may have noticed, if you listen to the Red Seat Podcast, which I'm sure you do, they've been off for a couple of weeks. Uh, our buddy Jake uh, and his wife just had a baby, and so congratulations to Jake uh, for their daughter, Evelyn, I believe is her name. Yeah, and he said um, it's th- going to be Evie. He said that Evie is going to be the nickname, so Evie. Okay. But welcome, Evie. welcome, Evie. Welcome, Evie, into the Feel world. free to pick up any lineups posts you want to do, Evie. <laughs> uh, might be a few years for that. Um, but yeah, so that's the update on the podcast. I think they're going to get back to recording in a couple of weeks, obviously. Uh, we're not going to rush Jake back. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but in the meantime, you are stuck with us here on Wednesdays. And uh, we got a pretty exciting one today because, Brian, it finally happened. Uh, since the last time we spoke, they have finally brought up Jaron Duran. He came up out of the All-Star break in New York to play the Yankees. Um, his debut was cut short a little bit because the Yankees had some COVID issues and then he didn't play the Friday game, but he did make his debut over the weekend, got a hit on the first pitch he saw off of, uh, Garrett Cole, uh, hit his first home run on Monday in Buffalo against the Blue Jays, um, already bumped up to second in the lineup on Monday. And it looks like, uh, that'll be the case for at least for a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of want to start with the timing here. Obviously we've been talking on the show about when Duran will come up. Basically, since it started in March, um, we've been wrong on many predictions, but it finally came. Are you surprised at all at the timing that they're right at the beginning of this big stretch of games exclusively against the Yankees, uh, Blue Jays, and Rays for like three weeks? Is it surprising that that's when they decided to bring him up? No. Um, And I think in retrospect, you know, the reason, I don't know if it was explicit, I don't know if John Henry said it. He might have. Because I don't think they were shy about trashing Dombrowski's um, sort of seat of the pants method of GMing, which I got the sense happened. Like his... Anyhow, point being that this... The fact that it happened right out of the All-Star break makes me suspect that that was the plan the whole time. And that part of what... The Red Sox are, and I've talked about this in some vein, and like treating people with respect professionally. And, you know, you you don't know how much lineup decisions and um, with struggling players specifically getting um, occasionally the leadoff chances time after time after time. And how the operation works, uh, it's sort of left to be speculated upon, but it seems like the simplest explanation is the easiest one here. And that they, beginning of the year, were like, we're going to bring up Jaron Duran after the All-Star break, if all things being equal. Because there's nothing he did before then would suggest that they had to wait outside of the fact they said, oh, he has some things to work on. What he worked on, I don't know. Um, maybe he, he and his dad were just making sure their tattoo sleeves were ready to be shown off in tandem. I think they were ready. They were certainly ready. But what I think is that there's a very, the simplest explanation is the best one here. And that it's, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be haphazard to the point that it was just simply 
sort of value neutral the most logical time to bring up a player that you intend to be a key member of your team um, when you have a bunch of rental options basically uh, for the first half of the season and it doesn't look like it's working out with some of them and I think I've mentioned this before that I think part of it also is to just inject it and this is independent of the stretch the Sox are going through part of it helps to break up any sort of monotony you keep things fresh you got to keep things fresh in a relationship so i'm uh i'm not surprised by the way it happened now that it happened this way i will probably use this as sort of a template for how i think about these things going so forward in some way how about you i mean i was surprised um insofar i mean i'm still surprised that they didn't do it for that west coast trip i mean i still feel like that made the most sense just with the organization's mo and um all of that but i mean i i wrote about this after he got called up and i think it it does speak to what they think about jaron duran in terms of his personality and his ability to adjust on the fly and kind of put pressure uh, behind him and not really let it affect him i mean there's not a bigger stage to make your debut than in a division race when your team's in first place, coming out of the All-Star break, against the Yankees on the road, and it ended up being against Garrett Cole, which wasn't the original plan, but that's what ended up happening. Um, and like I said, he got a hit on the very first pitch he saw from probably the best pitcher in the American League. So um, I was surprised, but I get it. I do wonder, and this doesn't really jive with what we think of with Heim Bloom in this current front office but I do wonder if there was a little bit of reaction in there just because the Red Sox kind of stumbled into the break a little bit and this stretch was so important I wonder if they just thought we don't want to wait until the end of the stretch at that point it might be too late uh, we might have done some real damage to our division chances and all of that um, so I do wonder if they had been playing better going into the break maybe they would have felt more comfortable waiting a little bit longer and not throwing them right into the fire um, but I mean, all that said, I think, I think the biggest takeaway is that it shows what they feel about his mental ability and his ability to block out pressure. Um, but I do ultimately still think, I mean, I think you agree that he should have been called up much earlier and I still thought that the West coast trip made the most sense. But after that, I guess the best time is as soon as possible. So that's when they did it. Well, I just, I disagree on the stretch playing any sort of role in it simply for two reasons. One, I think Bloom does not care about short sample sizes. Uh, two, I do not care about short sample sizes. And three, mo- far more importantly, is the Olympics thing. So there was a timeline on this the whole time. You know, the second they said he wasn't going to play for the Olympics, I felt like that was showing their hand. And it fits the timeline perfectly. Frankly, I don't want Tristan Cassis to play in the Olympics anymore. I don't want him getting COVID. Come back. And Hopefully I, he's vaccinated. But. I'm not getting into that. Yeah. But uh, ask Dr. Fauci about that. So uh, I, I suspect that this was the plan for longer than we can even conceive. I mean, look, in May, they were already spinning the wheels with explanations. I, I I think that this is 
now that it's happened, I suspect it's been the plan for a long time. It probably has. Um, I guess my only point with that stretch going into the break wasn't so much that they were worried about the team, uh, just more so that they didn't have the same cushion in the division that they might have uh, otherwise. Um, I mean, the Rays are still right on their tail. Uh, but, I mean, you're probably right that this was the plan all along. It's just, like I said, it's just so far removed from what we almost always see with them with top prospects coming up on the West Coast, kind of away from the spotlight. This is as big a spotlight as you could possibly get. I mean, that Thursday game was supposed to be the one that got canceled for the COVID issues. That was supposed to be the only game in the entire league that day. I mean, literally all eyes would have been on Jaron Duran in Yankee Stadium. So um, I guess that part was a little surprising. As far as the Olympics go, I mean, if I don't know how much – I guess I don't know how much I believe this, but the – Word was that that decision was actually from the Olympic Committee because they were afraid that he was going to get called up in that time, so they didn't even want to take the chance. Whether or not how much of that is true, I don't really know. But um, yeah, I'm I not... mean, we've talked about this, and I, I mean, I suspect that there's, you know, <laughs> there's no anti-tampering rules; they can talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. I suspect that. Yeah, I suspect that uh, it was just a, a known it was known that he was coming up. And frankly, it seems to me that uh, a lot of our friends on Twitter uh, of all persuasions are very happy to look at Jaron Duran. They seem, they seem very happy. (laughs) He's not a bad looking guy. Um, So Duran, like I said, he hit his first home run on Monday um, and we are recording, uh, recording this Tuesday afternoon. So Tuesday's game has not happened, but, um, Monday he was in the two spot in the lineup. Um, Red Sox shook things up a little bit in the lineup. Um, and Jaron Duran hit second in just his third career game. You think that's where he's going to land the rest of the year? Or do you think they're, he's going to move a little bit more? I think he'll move a little bit more, but I was saying from the beginning of the year that I thought he should be bad in second pretty sure um i mean it obviously says something about verdugo too that he's batting second but and he hit a home run yes but he did go one for six so uh having watched a lot of these a lot of prospects coming up occasionally the home they can get into one it's it's mastering the the day-to-day at bats that uh, tend to be a little bit harder, but I have less, I don't have very many concerns about him. And frankly, after what we went through with the top of the lineup thing, and now that Kike has straightened it out, I'm not going through it again with the second spot. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, um, I don't know that he's going to stick there either. And I do think this has way more to do with Verdugo than Duran. Um, I think if Verdugo turns it around and gets gets hot again, um, I think he'll be back in that two spot. Duran probably moves back down to five or six. Um, I mean, it's they they they. I, my guess is that they will just move um, in. You know, just if one moves, the other will move to the other spot, and that's just how it's going to work because they're so sort of superficially similar for the for the sort of at the plate. So they, I could see that working that way. And this, I don't think there's any way Durant would be hitting second if Verdugo wasn't right. 
I mean, if if Verdugo was right. Yeah, the lineup shakeup. Yeah, the lineup shakeup definitely had everything to do with Verdugo and Martinez. And I speaking of this is a little off topic, but I, so Martinez moved down from three to five, and Cora said that it was because they wanted to get more guys on base in front of him. Which whatever, I wasn't expecting Cora to be like, yeah, JD Martinez has not been as good lately, so we moved him down. But I've seen some the beat writers just kind of buy into that theory that's why they shook up the lineup like that was to get more guys in front of martinez and verdugo which i mean it would be nice if we could just say no they're struggling but that was just that was just a t- uh, random aside that's been bothering me uh the well, last couple of days i have found that when the beats all start tweeting something at the same time it's because I, I i suspect there's one person in the organization that individually tells them all these things or tells them all in a group off the record and they all come back and they all write the same like Oh yeah, it's not it's not very difficult. They're not subtle. To, it's not subtle. Yeah. A lot of the times it's not very difficult to read between the lines and uh get what the organization is thinking. Which is not I mean, that's not even a knock on the reporters. That's sort of their job. But uh yeah, sometimes you can tell uh, what the organization wants wants people to think. Um I guess my last question about Duran, um and we'll obviously probably be talking about him just about every week, but I mean one of the big concerns is as far as there were any concerns about him coming up was his defense. Um, Duran came up through college as an infielder, just started playing the outfield in 2018. Um, Fenway is a challenging center field. Is Are you worried at all about how he's going to be able to adjust to center field at Fenway? No, we're the Red Sox. Defense doesn't matter. Jackie Bradley <laughs> Jr. side, defense doesn't matter. I don't think that's ever been true with the Red Sox outfield. I think they've always prioritized defense. Manny Ramirez. In Henley everywhere Ramirez. except for left field. Everywhere except for left field, I should say. Um, but in mean, center and right field, I mean, those are difficult spots. I think I'm right not, field is harder, frankly. I think they're close. I don't know. I mean, center field has, I mean, it's big. It has the triangle, and also you have to know how to play the wall um, in left center field. So you kind of have different kinds of challenges both ways. I'll say this. I'm not worried about Durant to the extent where I wouldn't play him or I would want to not play him. But I do think um, I do think people should just prepare themselves. It's probably going to be at least a couple ugly plays early on, whether it's um, having some trouble in the triangle with some of those ricochets or um, – playing balls off the wall incorrectly and getting too close to the wall or something like that. Um, I think those kind of things you probably see with a lot of outfielders playing at Fenway for the first time. I think it'll be a little bit more difficult for a guy like Duran, who, like I said, isn't a natural outfielder and is still, he has the athleticism obviously to make up for some bad reads, but he is still learning how to read the ball off the bat um, and kind of the intricacies of playing the outfield at the highest level. So I do think we'll see some growing pains, like I said, not to the extent where he needs to be benched in Fenway or only play left field at Fenway or anything like that. But um, I am interested to see if they do give him a little bit of time in left field with Verdugo sliding over to center at Fenway a little bit just to uh, get that experience. I could see that, but I'll tell you something. The plays may be ugly, but they'll look good. Well, that's, I mean, that's the um, Jacoby Ellsbury experience early in his career when he first started he was the same way he couldn't he was not he took awful routes he did not really read the ball well but he was the fastest guy in the field and so he made plays that 
a lot of guys probably could have made a little bit easier, but uh, he made them look much nicer. So I am expecting to see some of that from Duran as well, some uh, diving catches and things like that, show off the athleticism. Well, in fairness to him, uh, he couldn't hit for power two years ago, and now he does. So that's also true. Learning things, apparently. I mean, that is that is probably – I mean, I've been – obviously been high on Duran for a few years now, and that is the biggest thing um, that I've heard about him really since he was drafted is the his ability to adjust and um, buy into coaching changes. So that, that does help with the outfield. It won't happen overnight, but um, it does help. Um, all right, I wanted to talk a little bit about the draft. Um, obviously, we have the on-deck podcast who handles the minor league stuff and – um, the draft was a couple weeks ago, but we haven't really spoken about it, and I spend a lot of time uh, doing draft stuff, so I figured we should talk about it just a little bit. Um, and obviously, the top of the draft was, I mean, that was the big story of the week. Marcelo Meyer falling to the Red Sox at four. He was not really the quite the consensus, but um, generally speaking, he was considered the number one prospect in this class. I mean, is this the best? This was like the best case scenario for the Red Sox at the top of the draft, right? Having Meyer fall to them. No, the best case scenario is that they Meyer fell to them and they picked him. And I don't. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that flippantly at all. I mean, the Tigers didn't. No, I I think that's a fair point. Three teams didn't pick him. I mean, well, I understand what Pittsburgh did. I mean, I I when it comes down to it, this isn't a draft with uh, Torkelson in it, and there's. Uh, even in it, even in drafts like that, you know, you're basically selecting contracts as much as you're s- selecting guys. So, if you can work out that contract ahead of time to go under slot, um, I get it. It's it's a strat. I mean, look what the Red Sox did last year—the exact opposite thing um, that they did this year. So, I I mean, that was what impressed me was that they was that they did it that they just. They said, we're not going to overlook this. This is what we want them to do is act like a a team that can afford things. And even if the draft is his own self-contained financial operation uh, with the bonus pool and whatnot, I was so happy that just it wasn't... uh, they didn't do anything kooky. They just, I wonder who they would have picked otherwise, but I, now I don't have to. Who do you think they would have picked otherwise? I think, uh, so uh, there were whispers, um, and I think I think some, one of the outlets published it too, um, that they had been considering Mac McLean um, on an underslot deal, which would have kind of driven me nuts, but, um, that was what I was kind of expecting Meyer to get picked third uh by the tigers after the rangers took lighter and then i was expected to be very disappointed and have the red sox take uh matt mclean as an underslot deal thankfully the tigers uh took uh what's his name jackson Job, i think was his name high school yes. pitcher and had meyer fall and like he's like you were saying I'm, the red sox could have done something kooky and i'm glad they didn't um I mean, this was a rare opportunity for the Red Sox. This is the highest they've picked since the 60s. They hopefully will go a very long time without picking this highly again. And, I mean, I know I agree with what you're saying. I actually did like what the Pirates did um, going under slot with Henry Davis and then just loading up the rest of their class after that. But for the Red Sox, that was not what I wanted to see. I wanted to see them take high-end talent. They have 
depth in their farm system right now. They're improving at a pretty quick rate on the farm system in terms of like B and C tier prospects, which is no small thing, but they still lacking on the top tier. And so um, I thought that the biggest need in this draft was just to take the best player available and, they did it. They took like and they took the best player of it. They took the best. And like you said, this wasn't this wasn't a year where there was a Torkelson or like a Strasburg or a Bryce Harper or anything. It wasn't there wasn't a clear number one prospect and I don't think the gap between Meyer and whoever anybody had number two was big on anybody's rankings. I would have been fine if the Red Sox um had ended up for example with Jack Leiter. I think I had them pretty closely in my mind. Um but just the fact that they didn't do anything stupid and they just took the best player available. I mean, that was, it was refreshing and it was not, um, it really wasn't what I was expecting coming into the night. When Henry Davis went fair, I was pretty convinced, uh, when the draft started that the Red Sox were going to end up with Davis. And when he went first, I was, uh, my mind started going in a bunch of different directions. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I see how it happens, especially when they, when the Pirates don't pick Meyer, because you figure that two and three, you know, those picks are high enough that they can pretty much just set it up ahead of time and just do their thing and not really have to worry about what anybody else is doing. I mean, that's probably what appealed to the Tigers because they knew that Joe wasn't going one or two. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I see how it happened. And I what I agree with you most on is like if, it, if they're not going to pick this high in years uh, – it would have been one thing if, I mean, here's the other thing. If if they took Matt McClain, that still would have been leaving a lot of talent on the board, frankly. Like, Lawler would have oh, been yeah. on the board. Uh, but what this, what this shows me is that, because I believe in the Red Sox scouting department now. What, what I believe now is that this shows that even though it's sort of, opaque from the outside that like he Meyer really is uh that good and even if you know we, we can equivocate here and say yeah you know he he was the number one prospect but if you were to put percentages on it you know it'd be like 45 percent of people would have said he's number one or 40 percent it'd be like 30 percent and 25 with somebody else um it's just uh it's great and if nothing else, we converted a Yankees fan. One less yeah. Yankees fan in the universe and his whole That's family, all, too. That is that is always a good thing. Um, and then, I mean, that after they picked Meyer, I think I assumed and a lot of people assumed that that was going to um, put them not way, way over slot with their first pick, but I think most people are expecting Meyer to be at least a little bit over slot. And so I was expecting to be not let down, but more underwhelmed um, with the rest of their draft. And then the second, their second pick comes the next day, their first pick of the second day, and they take Judd Fabian. Judd Fabian is a guy who was connected to the Red Sox back in February for that fourth overall pick. He was seen as a potential top five pick just a few months ago. Um, he's certainly 
Um, there's some concern with him about his season. Uh, there's a lot of swing and miss in his game, and I think a lot of teams are worried that he's never really going to be able to tap into his power because he swings and misses so often. But, I mean, there's big upside there with a guy who can play defense, who should be able to stick in center field, and has plus power potential if he can figure out the contact issues. Um, just at the first two picks, I mean, I think they absolutely knocked it out of the park. They played into their strengths with position players who they um, have shown for decades now that they can develop um, at a high level. I mean, I just, the rest of the draft, I think I can go into quickly after this, but their first two picks I thought were just, like I said, knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. As best case scenario for me. Yeah. I mean, it's all sort of a crap shoot. So, uh, and it, you know, it doesn't always pay to, take the best player available but in the cases of the first two rounds which is like really the you know obviously players come out of later rounds but the first two especially that's like the big yeah that's the big money right uh it's nice that they're able to just seemingly to actually pick the best player available without restrictions and that and that they did i wouldn't anticipate that this is something that happens every year i'm just glad it happened this year yeah, I mean, hopefully they won't have the chance to pick this this high um, anytime coming up soon. But um, yeah, and I like I said, there um, there were some other names that I can go through quickly that I liked. Um, I thought Nathan Hickey, who was Fabian's uh, teammate in college, he's a catcher from Florida with some power. He's an interesting guy. Um, Elmer Rodriguez is a high school pitcher from Puerto Rico. That he's the guy that the organization seems to be pushing very hard. Um, that they like a lot, so who knows how that ends up going, but that's that seems to be their guy. Um, and then in the 11th round, the name that I think a lot of people have been throwing around, Nico Cavadas, uh, I think is how you say his name, from Notre Dame. Um, he is just a big, he's a big boy, big first baseman with a lot of power, um, and he's the kind of guy I think that you can you could see kind of come in and just hit right away. Um, probably won't have the best scouting reports because he doesn't really provide much defensively, but um, could hit a lot of home runs and a guy that can move pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, I think, like I said, I think the top of the draft is really where the focus is and where it should be. And I think the Red Sox did very well. Um, and I will also say just about the draft in general, I don't really like what the league did to cut it down to 20 rounds. Obviously, they got rid of a bunch of minor league teams, and I think that's horrible for the sport and all that. We've talked about that. Selfishly, I was very happy uh, that it was only 20 rounds rather than 40. So um, I'm not going to complain about having to do half the work. You kind of did, frankly, but not important. I'll tell you, I bet you Nico Cavadas can roast a lamb. I'll bet you. I'll bet you he can do it. He's great. Yes. Greek Midwest, come on now. Uh, but I will say on the bright side, the, the actual. I'm glad that Major League Baseball, we we, and I say we, and I mean everybody, likes to give Rob Manfred a real hard time about everything, justifiably, justifiably. However, there are some simple fixes to to problems that have nagged baseball forever, and at least there was. At least the draft is an event. This is what we talked about, moving it to the all, All-Star Weekend um, and the, the Futures game, which I didn't, as we talked about, I didn't see it live, but saw a ton of highlights, watched a ton of batting practice. It's that part 
is better than it used to be. So I, I'm just saying I'm happy that it is. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we can broken clock was right twice a day and all that with Manfred, but I do think moving the draft uh, was a nice touch, and I think this is the first time there was ever a crowd at the draft. So um, it'll be interesting to see if there is any interest um, picked up in that next year. Obviously, it won't. Like we said a couple weeks ago, it won't ever be the NBA or NFL draft, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more interest now that it's on. E- it's also on ESPN. I think that was the first time it was on ESPN, the first round. Uh, there's a crowd. It's going to be in the All-Star City uh, where fans are already going to be from all over the country. So um, I am interested to see what happens with that well, over the I next also, couple of years. I also think that we sort of I, I, I won't generalize, but I have sort of Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Thought of advanced stats in terms of the majors and how we're slicing and dicing the rosters and all the stuff we talk about on here, but it's not just that there's more coverage. You know, we can apply all these stats to uh, players in college and the minors and with the rise of dynasty baseball, we're just, there's so much more information about these players out there than there ever has been. Yeah. It's still much harder to follow or not harder, but it's much less common for people to follow these college baseball players. Like they do college basketball and football players, but someone like pitching ninjas single-handedly, you know, probably, uh, increase the profile of lighter and rocker uh, beyond what many college pitchers before would have had even among just like the media class and that the high engagement class. So it's, it's nice to see. I think that it's, there's a chicken and an egg thing, but it's all, it's, it's getting easier to consume. So, they're building an audience for it and it will never be the easiest, but it, as we expand what we know about how players develop, it becomes interesting to watch them when they're younger, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think rocker is probably the most famous college player to come into the draft since Strasburg. Strasburg. I mean, that and, Rocker's got his issues and he fell in the draft and all that, but just in terms of name recognition, I mean, everybody, he struck out 19 and a no hitter in the college world series against Duke. I mean, that kind of put him on the map and um, yeah, I mean, I think the the interest is picking up good for the Mets did the same thing. The Red Sox. Yeah, absolutely. Um, They got new ownership, but it's, it seems to be working out. All right, let's move on. Let's move on from the draft. 
um, go on to the next thing on the baseball calendar, which is the trade deadline. Trade deadline this year, uh, which I just found out a couple days ago, is on the 30th rather than the 31st, uh, which is something that I'm going to forget probably 10 more times between now and that day. Uh, but the Red Sox obviously going to be buyers. They're in first place in the division. Um, clearly, they're going to be adding, not selling. Um, a little preview of the staff roundtable on the site this week. If you can only address one position on this roster at the deadline, hopefully they'll address more than one spot. But if you can only do one, which what is it? I mean, doesn't it have to be first base? I, I don't think it has to be. I think that's one of the two options to, to me. I probably I'd probably go first base because I you know there are lots of there are typically lots of available decent first basemen um, on non-contending teams, and that seems to be a very potential. Um, you know, if you can get someone in there who was good, that would be good. What do you think? I think first base probably makes the most sense. I get. I think the only argument against first base would be if you're really confident in Franchi Cordero, um, which I'm not. Right. I, right. I, I would exactly. not want to bet on that. Um, and there are a lot of first bases. But I think, I mean, I think the bullpen is, you can also make an argument for, um, I mean, this group has been so good. Uh, but they're starting to show some cracks. They've been worked a lot lately. Um, and they still have Brandon Workman, who just, I mean, I love Brandon Workman, but he just does not look good anymore. I just don't think he's good. Um, Yaxel Rios, same thing. These guys are not playing important roles, but if you can replace them with somebody who can pitch in the later innings and give some of these other guys a break, give Darwins and Hernandez a break, Hirokazi Sawamura, I mean, these guys have thrown a lot. Um I think those are the two most obvious, but I guess if I did have to pick one, I would probably go first base. And, I mean, to your point, there are a lot of first basemen out there. I mean, I think my favorite trade target right now is Carlos Santana. The Royals, I mean, he would just add so much to first base. He's got power. He works, counts. He puts together great at-bats, like, every time. And he's under control for next year as well, which I think is something that could be important. Um if you're not, I mean, I don't know how you could really be confident in Bobby Dahlbeck next year after what you've seen this year. So having a guy that you could put in there as sort of a British Tristan Casas and be able to help you down the stretch this season, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think if you could look either at the bullpen or first base, you can't really go wrong. I mean, I love Carlos Santana. I have for like a decade. That guy yeah, he's just, always been one of my favorites. He's just a good, he's like a good baseball player, and those are cool. Uh, but part of the reason I didn't say relief pitcher is it's just unless it's a unless it's an obvious like festering issue I you know if if their bullpen wasn't good um, I sort of just always assume that they're gonna go for relief pitchers in addition to, to like are they also going to search for other positions and to me it's like yeah relievers in first base but then the, also. I wonder if Garrett Richards would be a guy. He is starting, or he did start last night, we should say. Uh, no, he's stuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. One right. people are listening to this, I guess. Right. So if he gets bumped, which I think a lot of us expect could be 
happening, that would be another guy to go in there. And then when sale comes up, I don't know what's going to happen then. So I wonder if, well, I don't this, I agree with your read of the situation perfectly. They do seem to be very much about internal options when they can do it. They really like the internal options. And first base is a place where they don't really have the internal option. Or they do, but he's in Japan. And he's young. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not ready. Uh, I mean, they tried Christian Arroyo, and he immediately strained his hamstring trying to stretch for a ball. Um, yeah, they. I mean, they, they they have internal options. It's just they're not they're not very good. Um, well, now that he's stretched, now that he's getting hurt, he's really honoring the Nomar uh, Sports Illustrated cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts. You know, I found yesterday. I went to the library, and uh, in the used book section. Uh, they had one dollar, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook for 2015, and in this, the San Francisco Giants section, the number one uh, batting average prospect, best tool, best hitter for average is Christian Arroyo. So really, yes. <laughs> okay, well, I wasn't really expecting that. It's uh, I I picked it up and I was like, why would I want to look through a book that's six years old? But oh my god, I'm having a lot of fun. Anyhow, <laughs> back to now. Um, in terms of the prospects, the Red Sox are going to be looking to trade. We don't have to get into like specific names, but do you like where are you? How aggressive, I guess, are you expecting them to be? Are you? Do you see any situation where they would trade? A Jeter Downs, uh, Gilberto Jimenez, one of their top five or so prospects, or is it going to be more of a rentals, cheaper, maybe like bottom half of the top 20-ish would be the top end of the spectrum that you're going to see them trade? I mean, are they trading for Joey Gallo or not? That's Well, I guess that's the other way you could ask the question. Are they going to get one of the big names? Whether it's Joey Gallo or whoever it may be, Armand Marquez, if he's available, somebody like that. Yeah, I mean, Herman Marquez, I would expect that there would be a premium um, to be paid. Uh, would the Red Sox be, pay it, though? Probably not. And also, you know, would be... I, I don't think that they need a starter, so it doesn't make as much sense. I mean, I think that if you're talking about Carlos Santana, and if I was Bobby Dahlbeck, I might start doing some research on some... Kansas City barbecue. Call um, up Andrew Benintendi. Yeah. So that that is more especially at first base. I could see Dahlbeck's plus some lower prospects uh being in the in the mix more than the downs tier. So I think it's unlikely uh, and then if if Downs gets traded again, I mean, come on, man, <laughs> guy yeah, can't get traded anymore. Yeah. yeah, he's he's probably hit his limit. I don't know if another team would probably look at you a little bit sideways if you want to trade him again. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Dahlbeck being sort of the centerpiece of a trade makes a lot of sense, um, both because if they're acquiring a first baseman, there's really nowhere else for him to go, and also um, this is something. Uh, we've written about a few times on the site. The Red Sox have some 40-man maneuvering that needs to be done. I mean, if they, they're they going to add Chris Sale at some point, 
Um, they're probably going to add Ryan Brazier back at some point. I don't, I haven't really heard anything about him in a while, but I'm assuming he's still planning on coming back um, at some point this season. And then anybody who they acquire in trade, obviously you need to make room on the 40 men for that. Um, and they don't have as many players that are just easy DFA candidates these day. I mean, these days. I mean, maybe Danny Santana, Matt Andrees. I mean, you can find it if you want to, but um, I think we're going to see some guys get traded off the 40 man. So, I mean, that's Bobby Dahlbeck, that's Michael Chavis, that's Franchi Cordero, Marcus Wilson, and then, I mean, you get into the prospects too. Um, down in Portland, Hudson Pott and Jason Rosario are both on the 40 man, um, and their future is a little more unclear. So, I think those are the types of players you're going to see moved, and then. I mean, as a result, that means you're not getting probably a Joey Gallo or whoever else may be out there. And that's another thing. There's not, as of right now at least, there's not a ton of big names uh, that make a lot of sense for the Red Sox. So I don't think we're necessarily going to see the top prospects going. Uh, I just just heard uh, from a source that Alex Verdugo has a better trade value than Rafael Devers. Uh, Wow. Can you believe that? That was like that was the on, most ridiculous thing. It's on fan, Fangraphs.com, yeah, everybody. Go look it up. I I, I, I do like Fangraphs. I know they get um, a lot of shit sometimes. Some of it deserves. Some of it's a little uh, a little extreme. But their trade value series usually has. Um, they do it every year. And there's usually one or two that stand out. And having Verdugo with more trade value than Devers is just, it makes no sense. Absolutely well, they didn't no hire sense. me either, and that doesn't make sense. So there you go. There you go. I forgot about that part. <laughs> um, all right. Over under one and a half new players added to the roster uh, from the Red Sox before the trade deadline. I'll go over. First baseman and a reliever. I think so, too. And I think it might be I, – I wouldn't be surprised if it's all just one trade. Um, I was going to say – yeah, I was going to suggest two. that. Uh, um, I mean, the Royals yeah. match up with the Red Sox so well. Um, with Santana, I think I know you said. Um, I guess we can get into this a little bit now. I know you said you, you don't think they need to add a starter. I don't know that they need to add a starter, but I think somebody like Mike Miner or Danny Duffy. And Danny Duffy just got put on the injured list, so I'm not really sure what uh, is going on health wise for him. But both of those guys can pitch both in the bullpen and in the rotation. You can kind of have them as an option for both. I think that would make sense. I think. Just looking at pure relievers in Kansas City, Scott Barlow and Josh Stamont um, are two of the best options out there. They might cost a little more than you want to give up for a reliever, but they are like legit late-inning guys with a bunch of control left. Um, so I think there's a lot of options to kind of make a multiplayer move with the Royals. Yeah, um, let's do it. Let's The new pipeline, they're the new Padres. Let's just deal with them all the time. I mean, that, that works for me. Um, well, except so you for Franchi. Franchi didn't work, but, you know. Well, not yet. We'll see. There's still time. I, I think he might get traded, but that's a, we can talk about that another time. Um, yeah, so you said you w- you don't think they need any starting pitching help. I mean, are you worried at all about the starters? There's some – Evaldi and Rodriguez, I think, have looked very good lately. Pavetta was – okay Monday night, but he got spotted a huge lead, had one really bad inning. I mean, Perez, Pavetta, Richards, are you concerned at all about that group? Are you you think it's at least okay until Hauk and Sale can really get in the picture? Well, that's the thing. I think that what you were talking about with Minor or Duffy, it seems like 
they would be more of a spiritual replacement for Andreas, like the guy who can start if you need him to. He's also around, but he's not good. So you would want someone who is good at baseball <laughs> instead of him. It does help. I, I, I mean, I just think it's a numbers game. If they, I, I'm not confident in Garrett Richards. Come on, but the, uh, the, if there's seven guys in five spots, I feel like they're going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean that's probably. It probably does just come down to numbers, and not just those numbers, but also forty-man numbers. Like I said, that you have to add these players and if you're adding a first baseman you're adding at least one reliever now you're adding a starter to the mix that's another 40 minute spot being taken up and more decisions to be made um i don't know that the luxury tax is going to come into play but people have mentioned the luxury tax um so that would be potentially another issue um if they don't want to pass that threshold so i don't know you're probably right that they won't they won't add a starter that's not really a priority but i do in an ideal world, I just would really feel more comfortable if um, they weren't relying so heavily on Tanner Houck, who I'm still not really sure is a starter, and Chris Sale, who I'm going to see tonight, last night when you're listening to this. Um, I want to count on him, but that's it's it is a little scary counting on a guy coming back from that injury. But uh, like you said, the numbers do kind of make it more difficult. Um, are you? I mean, speaking of Hoke, are you? He's going to start on Wednesday. Um, he's kind of. I think the plan is for him to kind of bounce back and forth between the rotation and bullpen as needed. Are you? Com- are you confident in him as a starter um, to the point where you would say he's one of the top five when everybody's healthy, including Chris Hill? I think he might be one of the best five options. I think he's probably going to end up being option number six in reality. And then we'll just flip with Richard being seven. And then maybe flipping, you know, there could be injuries. There could be run of bad um, starts. Sale might need to pitch not every X number of days, though. Good luck telling him that. I... Look, the second game of the season, Hauk was amazing, and we were talking about how maybe he could enter the rotation right away. Now, I don't know if that was ever realistic. I do wonder, even that you know, he got hurt, so that I wonder how much that delayed him. But how coming up right after the All-Star break, uh, at the same time as Duran, just further goes to my feeling that that was, at least with, Definitely with Duran and from Hauk at some point that that was just the plan. Just circle this date on the calendar because it's an easy one to pick. And you can tell them that. They know it, uh, even if they don't tell anyone. Um, and I don't know if they do that. Anyhow, I do expect Hauk will, unless he's just amazing, be on the outside looking in to the rotation. But I think that there, there are several chances for ins. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're probably right that he would go in at six. I think I would have him at six as well, actually. Um, one sale is healthy. I would definitely have him against uh, above Richards. Um, just the issue with Hulk is what it's been for years now. He, that third pitch, he still isn't really throwing the splitter. He threw it a few times last time out. It's still not a very effective pitch. And as long as he's only throwing two pitches, I just don't know. 
that it works in the rotation. And I, to the point where I, even if I do think he's better than Richards, and I certainly do, I would not mind them just saying, we're going to make you into a one or two inning reliever. Just go air it out. Don't worry about being stretched out for spot starts or anything like that. We have Garrett Richards for that. We have Matt entries for that. Whoever Connor Siebold's coming back. Um, I think his arsenal just works so much better as a reliever. And that's what I would like to see happen is him just made into a full-time reliever once sale is healthy. And once they think they can count on him for innings and, I mean, even to the point of looking ahead to next spring, if he comes into next spring and that splitter still hasn't developed, at that point, I, w- I would just say, okay, you're a reliever now. We're going to just concentrate on that, and you can go pitch the eighth inning in front of Matt Barnes. Um, but, I mean, just for this year, I think it's fine using him as a spot starter until Sale comes back. But after that, I kind of want to just see him air it out and just go fastball slider and just – I mean, he can dominate out of that role. He has the stuff to do it. Yeah, I mean, he could be – a huge difference maker in the playoffs. He could be the bullpen addition. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. They love the, internal options. Yeah. I mean, I hate when teams say stuff like that because you can just do both. But, um, I mean, it does make a little bit of sense in this – a little bit of sense in this case, I suppose. Yeah, no, I'm I'm needling them to some degree. with the, the, <laughs> We have the internal options. But in this case, I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, and I mean, with Sale, too. I mean, he's the other guy that they've kind of been saying that won't do. And And Duran. I mean, Duran. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Duran is just, uh, you know, we. I think people get anchored to people's prospect rankings and just the idea of them. I mean, if you look at it in real time, Duran is, I'm not going to say he's as good an outfield prospect as there is right now, but he's pretty close. Um, So it's... And I don't know how much the Red Sox are responsible for that and how much he's responsible for that, but he took his raw materials and is like very quickly creating the best version of himself. And that is great for us, especially because we just drafted the best player in the draft. Yes, it is exciting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Chris Sale, who I am, like I said, I am going to Portland to see tonight. Uh, pretty excited about that. But the Red Sox said their plan with Sale was they want him to be able to go five innings before they get him back up in the majors. Um, is that a good plan, or would you be willing to rush it a little bit more? Maybe rush isn't the best word, but move it a little more quickly and let him build those that arm strength up a little bit in the majors as opposed to in these rehab outings i mean whatever you could get away with without him stabbing you have him have him get (laughs) have him get in the best shape possible before he comes back but eventually he's chris sale he's gonna he you know he's got scissors he's he'll come after you it sounds like he's just like he really wants to be he really wants to be up there so i imagine that the push and pull is in full effect and i think that what will end up being last night's game, the one you will have been at. Uh, I mean, if he goes five innings, the, it's good. You know, it's going to start the second it's he's done with them. Um, because I mean, unlike almost every other pitcher alive, there is an argument where it's like, if Chris sale can pitch five innings, you just make him just go do it. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, oh, there's a different competition level. It does matter, but at some point, he's he's you know he's just a 
a super elite talent and it's going to play no matter where he is. So I wouldn't, I, because they don't, I don't know how much they need him right now. Even if they went through a little lull, these lulls happen. I mean, they happen and he can't get too worked up about them. And, but at the same time, you can't hold him down forever. And I think we're just impatient. It's not actually. Oh, I know I'm impatient. Well, this is, we've been talking about this for so long, but you know, yeah. it's it, by the time people listen, this is going to be July 21st. This is exactly on the schedule we've been talking about. So it's just so close. We can taste it. If it's another 10 days, so be it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I think he'll make one more um, after this one in Portland. Um they were saying he's going to go three or four, depending on how many pitches he throws through three. He threw three in his first one uh, down on the complex. Um, I think Cora said that if it was up to sale, he would probably throw seven innings tonight. So that won't happen. But no, I mean, I think I think if they're he probably does, if he right. tries to come out there for the seventh, run out onto the field, do it, <laughs> do it, cause a uh, long enough delay that he can't keep going. I don't care what you have to do. I'll bail you out. I don't have any money, but I'll bail you out. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm probably not going to do that because I would like to not be banned uh, from Hadlock Field for the rest of my life. Um, all right. A couple more questions before we get into listener questions. Uh, I have one for you. Uh, why is Michael Chavis on the roster instead of Franchi Cordero? I have a question for you. Why do you think Franchi Cordero is going to be able to do anything he's done in the minors back in the majors? My Okay, so my I don't necessarily, but A, it's not like Michael Chavis is doing anything. Um, and more importantly to me is that Cordero is a left-handed hitter. It just se- This team just seems like it's so obvious that they need a left-handed bat on the bench, um, which is really my big issue. And this is obviously a marginal conversation. The difference between having Cordero on this roster as opposed to Chavis is not going to make that big of a difference. It is just a little strange to me, I guess, that they are going there um that wasn't much of a serious question i don't think we need a ton of discussion on michael chavis versus franchi cordero i do i just i think the bench could use a little more balance and uh cordero makes the most sense for that sure i mean the left-handed bat thing is big but if if neither of the bats are hitting anything it doesn't yeah if, if they're not making contact it doesn't matter where you're standing all right my last question for you so the Rays are obviously, it, it seems as though the Red Sox and Rays are going to stay in this division race all season. Knock on wood, whatever you want to do. But they, they're within one and a half games of each other. Red Sox are first. Blue Jays and Yankees, seven, Blue Jays are seven back. Yankees, seven and a half. Of those two teams, which one are you more scared of making a run to get back in this division race? Blue Jays. Because no they're question. pitching... They're, well, because the, what we've said the whole time is that their starting pitching isn't good enough and their starting pitching is starting to look a little bit better. Um, you know, Robbie Ray is pitching at his... I don't understand how Robbie Ray is doing what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I there's always been a great pitcher in Robbie Ray, but it's one that's like, he's never going to find the guy. Like He's pitch. never been able to throw strikes until this year. It's pretty incredible. Right. Um, but then Manoa is just a monster and, uh, having three, hurt, with re- right? uh, 
Yeah, he was supposed to pitch tonight. I forget. I didn't, I didn't see what happened, but he got scratched for something. I don't yeah, think it's anything. Oh, he slipped on the steps and hurt his back. So that could be an issue. Um, I mean, it's fortunate that Nate Pearson is, I mean, for the Red Sox, that he continues to get hurt um, because that would be with Ryu a potentially difficult foursome. But if, if Manoa is okay, as I was saying to you before we started, you know, the, the Blue Jays' run differential is 26 runs better than the Red Sox. And they can score. If they can pitch at all, they're going to be on a on a night-to-night basis just difficult to deal with. And the Yankees are just giant pieces of trash. So... <laughs> I'm going with I'm going with I'm going with the Blue Jays. I mean, it's hard to argue with that last point. Um, I will definitely give you that. I mean, I do. I really am scared to not say the Yankees, just because it seems like it's tempting fate, and they're just gonna um, go on a huge run. I mean, they obviously have the talent, but I do think they? you're right. It probably do is they? the Blue. J- do they? I mean, if you look at who's on the injured list right now i mean you add those guys back judge void um i think they're still expecting severino to come back at some point uh right throw in a couple trade pieces i mean this roster isn't bad but i think the trade thing is the biggest thing with me the blue jays if they can add another starting pitcher at the deadline and get stripling out of their rotation um no, I mean, no, 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 please, no, please, no, keep him. No, no, yeah, no. I would stripling. like to see Stripling. I would please like to see stripling, stripling continue to start. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I at that, like you said, their starting pitching is better than I expected. Robbie Ray is going bananas. Manoa has been good. If they can add another starting pitcher, I don't know, John Gray or whoever might be out there, Kyle Gibson from the Rangers, with that offense, I think it's hard to put the Yankees over them, which is, I mean, it's a surprising thing to say, but the this offense has proven they are very much the real deal and then it also depends on whether the yankees make a move or not and i know you know we just talked about their internal options if they don't and toronto does oh it's not that's even close huge. To that point. yeah yeah i mean if they don't make a move that's just a signal that they don't believe themselves that they can do anything i don't think they do believe themselves that they can do anything. i don't think so either i think secretly um brian cashman wants them to lose so he can do the whatever year that was when they did like the mini sell and then sign Chapman right back after getting Glaver Torres. I think they would like to do that, but right now I think they're just a little bit too high up in the standings to justify that. Yep, I agree. They they need to uh go in another losing or winning streak to clarify things for them. Which means I hope they either do the losing streak or just middle around some more and sort of just get caught in no man's land that's the ideal scenario yeah i hope they they go like one game below 500 for the rest of the month and then they just totally tank after the trade deadline oh god that would be awesome that would be the best case scenario all right except uh, for when except for when they become spoilers to the red sox winning the division because they're all mad about it uh in september but whatever that's just my well, it seems like the Red Sox are getting all their games against the Yankees out of the way right now because they're playing another four games this weekend. So I don't even know if they play in September. Ooh, I can't wait to cheat this time and start, not start the game because we want to. That was the, absurd. Absolutely absurd. I had considered what? going to that game, and I am very glad I, I yeah. stopped at the last minute, and I'm very glad I did not. What about a miserable game? 
Um, all right, a couple of listener questions before we uh, finish up. Uh, I guess we already talked about this one from Robert Seaman, uh, but we will just read it. Uh, he wants to know what it'll take for the Red Sox to call it Franchi. Um, I honestly don't know. I guess an injury at this point, um, but I don't know that we're going to see Franchi, um, depending on what kind of move they make at the deadline. I mean, if they acquire a first baseman, I don't really see the path for him other than an injury or two. Yep. I mean, I think that's it. Uh, Gentleman Fox wants to know your expectations for sale. Um, I guess, do you think he's going to be the best pitcher in the rotation when he comes back from that point on? Um, I will say on a per inning basis, yes. Yeah, but that's fair. In in totality, I think some like Valdi and Erod, the way they're pitching, just might create more value by more appearances. But I would say, yeah, per innings, uh, give me sale. I'll say Rodriguez is going to be better even on a per inning basis. Um, but that's it. I, I I'm just really excited for. Rodriguez in the second half. I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, what is uh, Duran's career ceiling? That is the question from the big man. He says, asks if Red Sox Hall of Fame is the uh, career ceiling. I mean, this career, he's in the bigs now. That batting four hundred for his career, thousand home runs, twenty-time <laughs> World Series champion. It's all in play. Nothing, nothing has been ruled out. Uh, it's hard, you know, it's hard to tell. He's coming in in a strong, nearly as strong a position as you can come in. And that's all we know right now. Um, and that I think that also accounts for long-term projectability. He's, he's shown the ability to adapt. And uh, he's got the strength to stick around. And that for a long time was really the, the issue. So Red Sox Hall of Fame is a, is a lofty, it's not as lofty as it used to be because you used to not be able to play for any other team to get with the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Um, but they relaxed that rule as free agency worked its way into the game. But, I mean, that's... Sure, if he's great, yeah, why not? I don't know. I, I can't predict the future. If so, I would ceiling, tell you what happens. Ceiling is always a hard one. And, I mean, obviously it is not the same as the most likely scenario but i forget where i heard this but a comp that i really like um is grady sizemore so i guess i'll say the ceiling could be grady sizemore that doesn't get hurt um which would be yeah i mean i win yeah but i mean it's a skill set wise i mean pre-injury grady sizemore is probably what you're hoping for for a best case scenario from durant also I mean, that power speed combination and very good looking man very good looking dude. Extremely good looking person. So then now if yeah, Jared I mean, Durant recreates Well if Jared Durant recreates the Grady Sizemore photograph, then like then he's really gonna drive people. <laughs> all crazy. Are off. Um all right, Brian Campbell is asking, uh, what do you think of Jonathan Scope as a potential target? Um I wrote about Scope a little bit today. I think he makes some sense. Um he would be on the cheaper option for first baseman. I think I would prefer um, Carlos Santana, but the fact that Scope can play second base is nice as well. I don't know what you think about Brian, uh, Jonathan Scope. I think that's a great option, and he has been absolutely laying it Having up this year. Having a great year. year. Yeah. Just, I think, I mean, I think that is a way more of a high and bloom move than almost, than even like a Carlos Santana deal. That's, that's a 
I'm very impressed with I that. I don't know. Thing. I think Bloom has hinted. I don't think that he's hard and fast about this at all. He's kind of hinted that he would rather not get a rental, and that's what Scope is. And I think at first base, if if we are assuming that they don't see Bobby Dahlbeck in the picture there anymore, then I think getting a guy under control for next year makes more sense just because Casas is probably isn't going to be ready to start next right. season either. So um, I think that does put Santana ahead. But I do like Scope um, a lot. The only thing I don't like about Scope is the way that his last name is pronounced. It's always been a bummer. I think, th- I mean, I can't disagree with you. I won't disagree with you. I could, but I won't. I I. <laughs> I think in a vacuum, it sounds like a high and blue move. But yeah, you're right. If they don't want rentals, if, if that's not what they're going for, uh, Santana makes more sense. And a dollback for Santana deal with one of those relievers and some prospects, like, really, really does make a lot of Just sense. Just get it done today, I think. Um, all right, last question comes from Norm. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza, and why is the correct answer yes? The oldest question in the history of the internet. Get out of here, Norm. Get out of here. If you want to eat pineapple on your pizza, that's fine. Don't tell me what to put on my pizza. Yeah. I I don't like pineapple on pizza either. My college roommate liked uh, bacon and pineapple pizza, which is, it was not for me. So, you know what I'm liking on pizza these days? And I have before uh, uh, tomato slices on pizza. I always like that. It's really. Oh, get the, uh, we got a spinach and tomato pizza, which was pretty good. Um, I'm a sausage and mushrooms guy myself. You see, I'm pepperoni and green peppers, so we're the opposites. <laughs> pepperoni gives me heartburn. Yeah, me too. That's how I stay angry. <laughs> All right. That is, uh, that's as good a place as any to end it. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Brian is at Brian Joiner. Brian with a Y, Joiner with an I. And uh, you can follow all of our writing and everything at uh, OverTheMonster.com. And we will be back with you next week. <laughs>